Now, does that mean we eliminate other things like family or, or finances, careers, or homes? No, that that's actually means we need those things, but it's in the priority of our mind. The first thing we are striving after is a relationship with Jesus. I, I, as I was prepping for this, I began to think of the chapter as a whole. If we reflect back for a moment to verse 1 in chapter 6, he says, Do Beware of practicing your righteousness before others, to be seen by them. But when you give, give to the needy in secret. Followed by, then he says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, but pray in secret. And he says, right before you pray, pray like this. But he, he leads in verse 8, he says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so Jesus, I truly think as He moves from giving to praying and to fasting and to where we store treasures, we then look at the statement about being anxious. If you don't know this by now, I love word searches. I love... Uh, Getting into the Greek text or the Hebrew text and looking at the words and looking at the meanings because sometimes we, we use our we do our best with English, but we might miss the wholeness that's there. And ultimately, after Jesus says, Do not store up money in heaven, for no man can serve two masters, he follows in with that verse that says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Almost as if he's giving a commandment. So if we do become anxious, we would be committing a sin. Now, my wife is, is wonderful and lovely and smart, and she's a licensed clinical social worker, so she's very smart. And, and we got into this conversation early about anxiety. And we live in an age today where anxiety and depression are very real. Uh, we face real issues, real things that, that can um, trouble us. And I think sometimes the church does a disservice to those with mental health issues. The brain is like any other organ of the body. We, our brain functions differently than other organs, but exists like in any other organ. It has the ability to fail. It wears out. It grows old, much like a hip or your liver or your lungs or your heart. It can be affected by trauma. When things happen to you, whether it be emotional, physical, or psychological, they can change your mind or chemical. You can do things to your body that will change the way your brain thinks. And it's possible that it, it just contracts a disease, such as Alzheimer's or dementia. But the problem with the brain and mental health, we don't treat it like the flu or a broken bone. If you were to fall over, Heaven forbid this were to happen, and you were to break your arm, and it was gouging out of your arm. Would you say, Lord Jesus, heal my broken arm? Or would you go to the emergency room and have it reset and put in a cast? Both. I hope. I actually hope that you pray that God helps you with your broken bone. But we are going to a medical professional to have it reset and to have it cast. Yes? If you were to have the flu, I do believe you would pray, but you would be sipping down the NyQuil. Yes? Yes. 
So why is it when we are faced with real depression, real anxieties, we just think we can pray it away? Why do we not seek help for that which is an illness like the flu? I want, to, I want to load this up with that because I don't – I want you all to know where I'm coming from. I, I truly believe, and as a church, that there are needs for mental health professionals. My wife became one because of it, because of the hardships and the trauma and the things we suffer in this world, that there are people who need to help people fix the way they think. Because unfortunately, we get caught up in cycles. I don't know if any of you have been faced with a hardship or a trial or a tribulation that was just so overwhelming you couldn't put the story together right. And a, and a good professional will actually have that ability to set the narrative straight so that you can continue to heal and move forward. The interesting thing here in the scriptures is the word anxious doesn't mean what you think it means. I do think anxiety is a good way to interpret the word, worries, burdens, cares, but it's not necessarily talking about anxiety, but just being anxious. See, the Greek word here for anxiety comes from the Greek word marima, marina, M-E-R-I-N-N-A which literally means to be divided into parts. It means to be going this way and then all of a sudden turning around and going the other. This is your focus, but all of a sudden you've now seen the squirrel. The, 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 the concept that Jesus is saying is that you, with his answer, seek first the kingdom of God. So our intention, like I'm staring up at these lights, is I focus on the lights. If that's my goal, if that's my objective, but I become distracted by all the stuff down here, and this now takes my attention, my attention has now been divided. Does that make sense? That's this 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 is literally where this word comes from, but what happens in our anxieties is we, instead of saying, God, I trust you to be my provider, because that's what we just prayed last week. That when we say, Lord, thy daily bread, give us this day our daily bread, we're saying, Jesus, be our Jehovah Jireh, be our provider. And if we ask that prayer that you are our provider and then go, well, where's my next meal coming from? You're not honoring God as provider. And that's our anxieties, and that's where we get tripped up, and that's where we can get very lost. I, I didn't intend to do this, but a friend of mine invited me to dinner, and, and so we went to dinner, and he had the intent of buying me dinner. And we go to dinner this evening, and we sit down at the table, and, and we're getting shot, and we go up and order, and lo and behold, there's a friend in the restaurant. Now, my friend was going to buy me dinner, so my dinner was covered, but his friend ended up buying both of us dinner. It, it is in the simple things that, instead of worrying about who was paying for dinner, that God took care of our dinner. Now, my friend could have bought me dinner, and that would have been fine. I would have been blessed by that, but we were actually both blessed because God provided. That he saw someone he had seen in seven years since dinner's on me. 
But if we were to go around always wondering, always anxious, and always worrying about what we would eat or what we would wear, this is where we get distracted from the goodness of God. So we actually look at that sentence in verse 25. When I first wrote it down, I wrote it down one. This is really funny. It, as I wrote the questions that you see at the end of verse 25, it says, Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothes? But when I wrote it down in my notes, I wrote it down, It's not, it's not the body more than food and the body more than clothes. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus is actually making a distinction. Life here is psyche. This is the Greek word. We get the, the human psyche and psychology. But it literally means in Greek, it means breath. Or it's the same word that's used for soul. So when Jesus says it's not, the, it's not life more than food, he's actually saying it's our own eternity. Is our own soul more than the food we eat? If you look at Psalms chapter 8, you want to turn with me to Psalms chapter 8. Verse 4, 5, and 6. It reads, What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Says that you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. This is the life. This is the life that God cares for you. God cares for you so much that he actually made you in a place a little lower than the angels but in a place of honor and glory. See, it's oddly that we, we, if we think of God as being the most supreme being of all the universe, and the angels being powerful and majestic, but they do not receive the same honor and glory that we do. And so our life, even though our flesh is fragile, our life is vastly important to God. So much so that he has given us dominion over his creation. That he has given us something greater than ourselves to care for and to care for one another. Another example comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You would think with all the tabs on my Bible that I could get here fast, but I don't have enough tabs to get there that fast. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he says, verse 11, he says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God has intended the heart of man, the soul of man, to live forever. That it, now, we may not be able to fully comprehend all of it at once, but in us, in our hearts, we know that there's more to this physical life, that there's something beyond. And that's this life that Jesus is asking us about. Is there, is the body, is this life, not the body, is the life 
we live, not more than the food we eat. Is that which God has placed us on earth for, the purpose that we can have dominion over the earth so that one day he can set us upon high for glory and honor. And that's what our life is all about. And then the body, right? Soma, S-O-M-A, literally means flesh. That Jesus is talking about this tangible thing. I had a, I have a, I love what ministry allows me to do. On Sunday afternoons, I go to a nursing home and I get to minister to uh, senior residents at a veterans nursing home. Uh, many of them are in their 70s and 80s. They're Vietnam and Korea War veterans. I think I even have some World War II veterans in there and, and, and the like. And, and I get to see kind of the end stages of life. That I see life at its most fragile because it's so near the end. And then this morning, I got to go to my kid's school where I was able to do the chapel for uh, the second through sixth graders. And looking at their life. And they're so young and impressionable and full of energy and zeal. And here I'm kind of stuck in the middle. But, but it gave me this, this in, in three days, I had this panoramic view from, from basically the newness of life to the end of life. And, and watching the body grow and age and then become withering away. And to think of all the sets of clothes that we go through from infancy to death. And how much more is this body than the clothes we wear? We, we should not be defined by our dress. Or we should not be caught up in a way that we are overly concerned of what others think of you. Here's, here's our hard truth. Most people... Don't notice. To be honest, I would actually rather say most people don't care. That sounds a little mean. But what I mean by that is when people, our number one focus is usually ourself. Right? That's why we have mirrors everywhere. We take selfies. Right? We want to know what we look like. And, and it's okay. And the, the, the idea is I'm not saying to be a slob or to be grungy, but I typically wear the same two pairs of jeans and three shirts all week long. And do you know how many people notice? Zero. Now you do, but you won't notice. So this is a new shirt, and so you've never seen it before. But on Sunday, on Sundays, I cycle between two t-shirts, two, two dress shirts, one blue, one red. And I get compliments on those shirts every single Sunday. Which is funny because I wear them every single Sunday. It's not that someone that other person is trying to be insensitive. I, I don't I don't it's not about insensitivity. It's literally our, our brains don't focus. That it's not about our attention. And so when we give way too much power to someone else about what we think, what we think they're thinking of us, we've now become anxious. 
When we allow what others think of us, what we, if we care what other people notice about us, we'll always control us. We will. I, 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 so long as we care what the word the world thinks of us, we will never be transformed from this world. If we never stop caring what the world notices about us, that that we are to be noticed by the world, we will always we will never be transformed from this world. Right? Romans 12, 2, right? Therefore, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think that that's even what Jesus is getting into because where he goes from in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he reads, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Same two Greek words. Psyche and Soma. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We put the power in the wrong people's hands. We allow other people to control us when they don't have the authority to. And even if they could or would kill our physical bodies, they do not have the authority over our souls. And that belongs to one person, and his name is Jesus. So are we willing to put our fear and authority in man, or are we willing to subject ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Because if he is the one who can actually condemn us or to give us eternal life, why do we care what the world thinks? Why, why do we get caught up in the notions and the, the values of this world that are fleeting? Back to Matthew chapter 6. Right? That's, that's what he says of the grass of the fields, that it's growing today, but in the oven tomorrow. Now, before you, tell, before you say, well, Josh, you're just telling me to quit working. No. There is a value and a duty that we have to go to work as long as we're able. Right? There's plenty of proverbs that talk about the sluggard and the lazy man and how the little folding of the hands, little nodding of the head. But we have a responsibility not to be consumed with the things of this world so that we can truly make a difference in this world. Paul makes this comparison. If you want to turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Verses 21 through 24. It says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. 
But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. If we live, it's alive in this flesh. To be alive in this world is about earthly things. We can be caught up in earthly toils or we can be caught up in God's business. But in that, Paul shows us that there is something far more, far greater than whatever we could attain here on earth. You know, Paul was, when he wrote this, he was in prison. He was in Rome. He was in jail. He was chained to a guard. But he knew that there was a benefit to his earthly ministry, and he desired to continue to work it. But yet in his heart, he wanted to be with the one he loved the most, and that was Jesus. He says it another way in Galatians chapter 2. So if you turn a few pages back to Galatians chapter 2. Verse 20, he writes it this way. Says, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If you have given your life to Jesus, if you have been redeemed by his blood, and you call yourself a child of God, your life is no longer your own. There, there is a, a life that we live here for a greater purpose, a heavenly calling, a higher authority. And, and, in, this, and in this life, we, we're going to face troubles. I've, I got asked on, by one of her friends as they came in, it's like, so last week I had some serious IT issues. And she asked me, did you get your IT issues resolved? I said, I did, I did. So today I just had people issues. And, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in, in my heart, I truly care for people. And, and, it, and it sometimes means getting in the messiness of their lives. And, and I would, am willing to do it every single day. Because I hope and I believe that as I share Jesus with the people around me, that they can have the hope. In their situation. That, that no matter how dark. No matter how desperate. No matter how discouraging this moment might feel. That we can look to Jesus together. And believe that he's going to see us through. And, and I think if, if I. Could look into Paul's life. And, and I think he would agree with what I just said. I, I think his heart was really to say, Lord, I, I want to be with you. But right now, I, I want to help my friends. I want to help those people around me. And, and that's, that's what Jesus is expecting of us. I think that's what happens in this passage. When we, when we decide to not be caught up in this world, but to be focused on Jesus, I think we can truly see the greater. That we can overcome the hardships. On your, the top of your outline, if you, if you have it, there's a quote by a name, man named George Mueller. 
Quickly showing your hands. Does anyone know who George Mueller is? Has anyone ever heard that name? One person? Two person? Okay. That's okay. George Mueller was born in 1805 and died in 1898. So he lived almost the entirety of the 19th century. George Mueller was born in Europe, born in Germany, and then moved to uh, England. And there he became a minister and preached at the same church for 66 years. But one of his greatest attributes is he built three very large orphanages in Bristol, England. That in its heyday uh, supported 2,000 children. And he never asked for a single dollar. He actually refused a paycheck from his church. He refused to ever tell someone his needs, but he fully believed that through prayer, his needs would be met. And that's where that quote comes from there on your page. He believed that by his faithfulness, his trust in Jesus, that his faith was to display with an open proof that God could be trusted with the practical affairs of life. He was... Interested in the orphans. He cared for them. He wanted them to know that they would be practically cared for, food and shelter and clothing. And he wanted them to know Jesus. But he ran the orphanage in such a way that the outsiders looking in would see that the only way this is being funded and successful is because George Mueller and his staff were people of faith. So I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what hardship you're facing, whether it be relational or financial or emotional. I don't know if you're stuck in the middle trying to figure out what your purpose is or where you're going or where you've come from. But I truly believe in George Mueller's statement that God can be trusted in the practical affairs of your life. So when we look at verses 30 and 31 or 30, 32 and 33, there are three key words that are in that scripture and they all start with F. The first one is faith. In verse 30, where Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith. Faith is what we need. And we'll come back to him in a second. The second word in verse 32 is Father. And the third word in verse 33 is First. There is a need for us to have faith. Now, Jesus being the author of all life and all words, authored his own word. That, that word is open. Oligopitos. I didn't say it right. We translate it into English as, O you of little faith. But where that phrase is, O you of little faith, or ye of little faith, that is one word. It is only used by Jesus, it is only in the Gospels, and it's not used in any other literature in the entire Greek world, except for Jesus. So Jesus' response to our anxieties comes from our small faith. 
that we don't give our faith enough effort to see God's glory. I almost wrote another quote on the top of the sheet, and it came from John Owen, and he said, Lazy souls produce tiny faiths. Lazy souls produce tiny faiths. The, the Greek word for faith, pistos, is this idea really that comes from trust. That there's more to just believing, but there's an element of trusting in or obedience thereof. Pistis is actually the root Greek word. It's a noun. It literally means to trust. I have trust. Comes from a Greek word, pythos, P-E-I-T-H-O. But it comes from the, the derivative is to trust because of persuasion. I bring these two words up because God shows himself faithful. He shows himself to be trustworthy. So that we can see his abounding love and put our faith in him. Do you see that? Okay. God has proven himself to be trustworthy. He has demonstrated his loving kindness to us so that we might be persuaded to believe that he is good, that he is God. So our faith comes from the Holy Spirit. Christ of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22. You don't have to turn there, but it says... For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, same word, and self-control. Faith comes from God. It is a portion to us. That's what Romans 12, 6 says, is that we are given spiritual gifts based on the measure of our faith. So we take this gift from the Holy Spirit, and we plant it, and we grow it. We allow trust to root in us so that we can believe God for the practical and the supernatural. Pastor Greg's favorite Bible verse comes from Ephesians 2.20 or 3.20. For God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could think or imagine. And I think that's what Jesus is challenging us in. Is that we get caught up in the, in the temporary and we lose focus of the eternal. And when we lose focus of the eternal, our faith is no longer in Christ, but it's what we can do by our own hands. Does it make sense? And, and, and that's why Jesus makes a comparison to the Gentiles, verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things. The Gentiles, those who do not believe, are running around and spending their entire life trying to figure out how to get more and more and more, but are never satisfied. Right? Some of the saddest people in the world live in big mansions in L.A. Because they have amassed these fortunes hoping that it would satisfy, and it comes to nothing. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a nice house or car or money in the bank. That's not bad. 
But when it is our primary focus above God, or looking to verse 30, the end of 32, for our Heavenly Father knows what we need, and just as we said in the prayer that He will provide, we are putting God's kingdom first. And that's what Jesus ends with, verse 34. It says, Therefore do not be anxious. Do not be distracted about tomorrow. For tomorrow has enough distractions of its own. Sufficient are the troubles for today. I believe that would be accurate for all of us. That we have troubles and distractions for today. I went ahead and I answered these the questions so you can hear where my heart is for tonight. I hope you have your own interpretations and your own answers, but this is how I wrote. Question one, what does this passage tell me about God? It says, God is my Father. God is caring. He will provide. He is sovereign. And there's nothing beyond His control. What does this passage tell me about human nature? That we can be tempted to fear. That we can be overcome by wants and we can even forget the present. What does this reveal about me and my need to change? I need to trust God more. He is trustworthy. Faith is the first gift and from faith comes more gifts. And if I believe and I trust, He will grow my faith. As little as it is. What does this passage reveal about others and how I'm supposed to live differently in the world? Reflecting on the quote, I can show God as trustworthy by my trust in Him. I can show God to be trustworthy by my trust in Him. I can show um, and not be distracted by the needs of this world. And not and I can show the world how not to be distracted by the needs of this world. And that's my hope for each of you. Is that through this passage, that as you take time to dive into a lot of those references, that we can see how much God cares for us. And in closing, Psalms 56 verse 3 Psalms 56 verse 3 says when I'm afraid I put my trust in you if you've never put your trust in Jesus or if you think you have and you feel like you don't trust him now tonight's the night to put your trust in Jesus that you can trust him with your not just your temporal life but your eternal life that through his blood and through his death and through his resurrection, you can know that you know that your soul will live in eternity with him forever. And that the wants and the needs of this world will be subdued because he can be trusted in the practical affairs of this life. Let me pray.